Settling is too often human nature. In fact, we usually seek out the status quo, the known path, the comfortable approach. But thank goodness for those people who come along and naturally see through the current standards and envision more. Growth never occurs through comfort, but through resistance and struggle. I'm Joey Bland, and from Circle O Productions, this is Seasons. Today, I'm sitting in the small Missouri boot hill town of Braggadocio. This Pemiscot County town is located about eight miles west of Carothersville and approximately 12 miles east, as the crow flies, of course, of Kennett. Situated in the northern portion of the Mississippi River Delta region, this soil-rich area is wide open as the sky. A panorama of farmland stretches as far as the eye can see. I'm joined by a friend I met largely by chance several years ago, Steve McCaskill. Steve is the most innovative guy I've ever met. And he, along with his family, is McCaskill Family Farm. Steve, did you grow up in the Boot Hill? I did, Joey. Uh, actually, you know, I was born in Memphis. That's where my parents are from. And dad was going to med school on the GI Bill after World War II. How about that? And oh, isn't that cool? And we moved to Carothersville uh, when I was in the second grade. Okay. And so I've been here ever since. Son of a small town, uh, probably family practitioner. He did everything. House yeah. calls. Uh, we, we went back and he did uh, surgery training. And so when he came back after that, he did everything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great doctor. How about yeah. that? Yeah. How about that? So you grow up in the Boot Hill of Missouri. That's correct. Uh, this is a farm-rich area. Yeah. Surrounded by farmland. Right. But you really didn't have much of a, of a experience with farmland. Is that right? Zero. Yeah. Uh, until uh, I met my future wife, uh, Kay, she, uh, they had a school here in Braggadocia, and they closed it down because there wasn't enough people here. Okay. And that was her last year here was the eighth grade. And she had a choice to go to Hayti or Steele uh, or maybe even Kennett schools. But she chose to go to Carothersville. She had a, a cousin that was already going there, maybe. Okay. And uh, so I remember seeing her. Uh, she caught my eye the very first day. Yeah. Her mother let her out of the car. And uh, so I got to know her dad, and we started dating, and uh, her, her dad was a farmer and had a cotton gin yep. and a country store uh, mm -hmm. back then. And uh, so I started getting a, a little bit acquainted with farming, you know, through him. Yeah. Uh, Kay didn't know much about farming. Sure. And uh, we... <clears throat> We decided to get married early. Uh, I was 19. She was 18. How about that? And wow. uh, we, I was already, I think, the first year at Ole Miss. Okay. And Kay started. She, she came down for a whole year, and then we got married. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, I graduated. She did not. Uh, we were talking to her father. Uh, his name was Joe Bob. And uh, what great, a great, great man. Great, great name. Yeah. And uh, and that was his real name. I, yep. I meant to tell you. It wasn't Joseph Robert. It was Joe, Joe Bob. And uh, so we're sitting around in the den, and we're married. And he goes, what are you going to, you know, we've had this conversation before. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I have plans to go to the Ole Miss Law School. Uh, back then, you didn't have to pass uh you know the, the that test you have to take right. the LS, LSMT LSAT, or, yeah. yeah something like that and uh, he said why don't you think about coming back to farm mm -hmm. and I said that sounds great uh, so I told him I said I don't know anything about farming zero you know and uh, he said well we can learn you can learn mm -hmm. and so we decided to give it a whirl he said there wasn't any young people coming back yeah. And uh, so he was concerned about that. He was he, seeing the aging population of farmers, yes, and not an influx of young people to come in and learn this thing. And right, and so he's encouraging you, who by the way is married to his daughter. So, yes, that kind of keeps everybody close. That's too. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wow. was great. They, uh, I got a little tractor experience that summer, um, uh, after I graduated, and uh, um. Uh, it was hilarious. I couldn't even drive the tractor right. I was getting stuck all the time. Yeah. And uh, they, I even worked in the cotton gin because we moved back in August of 72. And uh, so I had to have a job. So I worked at the gin. And the plans were that I would start farming in January of uh, 73. Wow. So. Well, you know, um, I'm... I, you are one of the unique people that I've been around. I've been very excited about driving up here. Um, Braggadocia is an hour and 30-minute drive from Memphis, so I had a little bit of time as I drove, but the excitement was hard for me to contain because, one, I like you a whole lot. I've gotten to know you, and yeah. I think you genuinely, a couple of the things in my life that I want to be authentic about are, um, are uh, abundance, of, of sharing things, whether it's knowledge, whether it's experience. what And I have found you to be one of the most abundant-minded people that I've ever been around. It. Wow, thank you. And and so I just was excited to drive up here. One, I get to see you, but even more importantly, hopefully through this thing, uh, you're introduced to a lot more people that need to hear your story, mm -hmm. need to hear about your life, because I'm telling you, a book needs to be written because you have had just one of the most fascinating lives, uh, both of, of struggle and of success and all of this that we're going to hear about. But the one thing that I love in starting here with Kay getting out of the car, it sounds like the first day of school, of high school, and you pretty quickly saw, hmm, I'm interested in this young lady. Yes. And uh, here you are, I think you'd said 52 years later, 52 years of marriage. Right. Um, but I love because y'all do everything together. You, you, you are, are really in business together. You, you know, we'll talk about this some, but when you've gone and pitched companies on ideas you have or something else, it's you and Kay going. It's not Steve just going on his own. That's correct. I, I just love that. I love the way y'all, y'all have maintained that relationship and, uh, 
it's really amazing. So you get into the farming business. Um, I'm interested for someone that's totally green, totally green, uh, to, to come out there and someone named Joe Bob, who's very experienced in farming, was he pretty patient with you? Like, what was that experience like of learning? It, he was very patient. Uh, in fact, you know, we talked about, you know, I ate breakfast at his house. Uh, I ate lunch usually at his house unless I was finally learning how to drive a tractor. Yeah. Then he would bring me lunch and then mm. something like that. But uh, the guy that uh, ran the cotton gin, his name was Bob Hamlet, a wonderful man. Uh, he's the guy that taught me how to farm. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was so funny uh, buying equipment. You know, uh, I had no idea what we needed. Sure. Uh, and so we start shopping and bought farm equipment. And I remember planting cotton uh, the first time ever, and I had uh, a wonderful man from Haytime, Missouri, that helped me. Uh, he worked with my father-in-law off and on during, over the years. He helped me set the planter, hmm. how deep, how, how many seeds you should have, yep. like in the foot. And uh, it behind our house is real good silt loam soil, uh, and so when we got through with that farm, we moved to another farm west of here, and it was the soil type was sharky clay okay. or gumbo, yeah, what we call gumbo. Yep. And we were out there planting cotton on it, and I asked this man, Willie was his name, I said, where is the dirt? You know, it was just, <laughs> it was all clods, yeah. big old clods. Yeah. And... Uh, it was so, totally totally new to you. Yeah. Yep. So we were we were putting clods on top of seed. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily it came up. I don't after a rain, but luckily I'll never forget that story. And I was serious. I, I yep. thought, have we done something wrong? You know, right. or we haven't done enough or yeah. you know, I just really didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think people are gonna be real interested uh, in a lot of your story because they're gonna recognize a lot of these name brands that they have maybe worn places they've eaten that you've actually been supplying uh, sources for those people to do whatever they've done. So, so backing up that started in the cotton business, right? That's kind of where you started growing. Tell us about that. You start into cotton and, and it's tough, right? Uh, <sighs> although I think you got, got off on a good foot. I did the, uh, Probably the first year uh, of farming, we were only farming 300 acres. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously I didn't know anything about forward contracting for, you know, pricing. All the farmers in this area that I got to know, most of them had forward contracted their cotton mm -hmm. at around 40 cents a pound. Which means you're selling it before you've actually grown That's it. That's correct. You're locking in a price that you feel like is a good price, yes. correct? Okay. Okay. And with a company in Memphis, mm -hmm. you know, that's where all the cotton buyers were from. Right. And uh, so here we finish our crop, and cotton that year made a historical high. Uh, it hit a dollar a pound. Wow. And soybeans hit, I believe, eight fifty a bushel okay. in 73. And... So I sold my crop at the highest price ever <laughs> my first year. 
I went to production credit, you know, to pay my loan, my crop loan off. Yep. And I had all this money left over. And I asked them, I said, what am I supposed to do with all this money? Yeah, yeah. And they said, uh, just hold on to it. Don't worry. You probably won't have any later on. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take it from you yeah, shortly. The farm, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So you start growing cotton, but, you know, the the one of the unique things about you is you're a very forward-looking person. And this is one thing that I admire about you because uh, not only are you forward-looking, but you also, you don't just accept the way things are done right now. And I, I like that. I, I think we term it often thinking outside the box. But we, there's a lot of different ways people look at that. But it's kind of like, you know, there are a lot of different ways to skin the cat, kind of. We can right. we can do this different ways. You're one of the most forward-thinking people when it comes to that. And so you pretty quickly saw, I need to do something. I need to kind of figure out a way to really be sustainable in this, right? Yes. And so what would you do? How did you progress as a cotton farmer? Well, one thing uh, I noticed real quick back then uh, – we, it took three tractors to plant a crop, mm. soybeans or cotton. Uh, you, had, you had beds back then, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we were rehipping the beds to make them clean. And then we ran a tool called a do-all, which kind of knocked the beds down. Mm-hmm. And then we had another tractor that sprayed treflan, which was one of the early pre-emerge herbicides. Okay. Uh, back in the early 70s then we would spray treflan and then it, we had a, the tractor tool would till it mix it into the soil and about two or three years after that i realized uh and we had a local blacksmith guy here that was very talented and he could build anything and i told him my idea of combining uh this cultivator that mixed the treflin into the soil with the tool that knocked the beds down. Hmm. So he he created a toolbar where I saved a complete tractor trip. Wow! You know, and uh, it worked great. Wow! And and I noticed that a lot of equipment today are tillage tools or combinations of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, to save trips. Um, we put. I remember uh, putting in two-way radio systems in our tractors. We didn't have cell phones back yep. then. Yep. And uh, I had a base at home, and I could call Kay to do something, or I could communicate with tractors, and I wouldn't have to drive all over the place, you know, <laughs> yeah. find out what I, which I would go look at. But yeah. uh, so, it sounds pretty simple today in our world. Yes. But this is back in the early 70s, 70s, where you don't have the communication tools. And we uh, we bought the radio equipment from the Chicago Police Department. Oh, how about that? Uh, this guy that I knew that installed everything found it. Yeah. They they bought new stuff, so we got the old stuff. And I was, I was really excited about this two-way radio thing. But, uh, you know, we still had a tough time farming. Uh, yeah. You know, the the late, the mid to late 70s was horrible. Uh, prices were low. We had no irrigation. Crop yields were not very good. And then here's 1980. Mm. Uh, like I told you earlier, probably 
one of the worst farm years in history. Mm. Uh, temperatures rose to oh, oh, above 110 degrees. It wouldn't rain. Wow. And this affected everybody in this area. Yeah. But I think it was a period of time where we lost a lot of small-time farmers mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always compared it to the Dust Bowl. It wasn't a Dust Bowl, We, you know, but we didn't get any rain all summer. Yeah. And that fall, what little cotton we had to pick uh, was knocked out by a heavy rain, the first rain uh, in the fall. The very thing that you needed then came and destroyed what was the left. little bit that you had. Yes. How about that? And it, uh, you know, from that, we, uh, I didn't know what to do. We, yeah. we lost a lot of money that year, and uh, I got involved. My brother-in-law in Memphis said, why don't you get in the brokerage business? You mm. know, so we, we did, and I took the test and uh, ended up working at Dean Witter in Memphis. Yeah. And commuting back and forth, and my father-in-law Joe Bob helped run the farm, you know, while I was working in Memphis. But I had to go get another job, yeah, to make everything work, yeah. And uh, we finally, you know, did everything was going better, and I came back home, yeah, you know. And then to realize that it was still horrible to farm, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll never forget. Uh, one of my farmer friends that lived north of here, uh, his daughter was a cheerleader, and my oldest daughter was a cheerleader for Carruthersville. Yeah. And I was going to go to the basketball game. And so we ran into each other, and he said, have you ever heard of organic cotton? Mm. And I said, no, uh, I've heard of organic food. I had bought some in yep. Memphis yep. at a store called uh, – Wild oats or wild oats? Was it wild oats? <clears throat> yep. No, it was called Squash Blossom. Uh huh. That was yep. the first health organic food store in Memphis. Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, he said uh, a company called Esprit that made female cotton clothing is coming to the Delta Center, which was the University of Missouri uh, research farm mm-hmm. in Portageville, Missouri. They're coming to talk to farmers from. Tennessee, Arkansas, and Missouri. He said, "Why don't you go? And I'll I'll meet you there. I want to hear what they got to say." Yeah. And so we were listening, and it it you know we didn't know anything about organic growing cotton, but when they said we're going to pay a dollar a pound for the lint, uh, and we were getting forty cents at the time, I knew I was in. Right. And that's that's really. What got me in was yeah. the price. Yeah. We later uh, learned how important it is and the demand for organic products and cotton uh, was just growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And we, I was, uh, I, I joined a 5013C in Fresno, California called the Sustainable Cotton Project. And we would fly out there and have meetings like once every six months. Mm-hmm. And then one meeting, we got to uh, we got to meet Yvonne Chenard, who had barely started Patagonia mm. uh, back then. And uh, we took him riding around uh, out in California where they grow cotton. Water is va- more valuable than the farmland. Right. And it comes in these concrete ditches. You buy 
you buy so much water and they send it to you. Right. It's crazy. Yep. Uh, especially when you live here and we got plenty of water. We don't have water districts. Do we, we don't have water districts, right. right. And so we took him out where the runoff of the cotton, you know, it's like the, the tailwater yep. is carried to another location. Mm-hmm. And Meaning it, the excess off of your... Off Your of the field, it's yes, just and it's flown in. It, it's, it's got it's drained into a pesticides, ditch. herbicides, right? Synthetic fertilizer, and it's taken to another location that ended up looking like the moon. Mm-hmm. There was nothing growing there, and he saw this. And a few weeks later, he said, um, "From now on, the only cotton I'm gonna buy for my cotton clothing is organic cotton." How about that? Which wow. he still does today wow and i don't think there's anybody growing organic cotton in the united states now amazing yeah so so patagonia which everyone's familiar with but that really had a big impact on their on their uh, mission their model yes of what they're doing and i think it's interesting all of that came from you going to your daughter's basketball game to watch her cheer y'all right. are a very close family right. you go watch your daughter and by chance you talk to your neighbor while you're there and i reflect back on us meeting because it was uh i'm not sure 2012 2013 2014 sometime um eight ten years ago we were in des moines iowa Correct. For a friend up there, Steve Brewer, who who has a fantastic land conference, and you're, if you're in that area, you ought to go to it. And the night before, he has a VIP event. <clears throat> you were a VIP because you were a speaker. Uh, my broker partner and I were not VIPs, but we were, um, I guess, more party crashers. Steve invited us to the VIP event the night before, a great event it's at uh it was at harry stein's barn outside of yeah. des moines beautiful event place um the future governor was there i mean all of these people are there and i'm looking around for a place to sit i know no one in the room and there's one spot over at this table and i walk over and say hey do you mind if i sit down and you say no uh, i don't my wife wasn't feeling well she stayed back at the hotel and you that's where you and i met and right. we sat at dinner and began talking and this friendship and i've learned so much and um so i really appreciate uh chance meetings because oftentimes they have a lot bigger impact on your life than you realize correct yeah. chance meetings often impact if not change our lives the value of seeing purpose in everything creates a more developing and innovative way of living combining that with having an abundance mentality about life offers yet unknown advantages for living at seasons podcast Our purpose is to educate people about land investment with the goal of seeing a hundred people who don't currently own land become landowners. Our method is helping people reconnect with land through hearing other people's stories. For more information, go to our website, Delta 
www.farmland.com. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.